0: This podcast is brought to you by Future Women. Become a member to gain full access to our exclusive content and packed calendar of online events. Every week, we bring you amazing guests, expert advice, and you get to ask the questions. You can also upskill with our online learning program to build resilience and better define your personal brand. It's never been more important to connect, learn, and lead. Join the movement today by going to futurewomen.com. There's an
1: option to suit every budget. Hello, I'm Brooke Boney, your host for Season 3 of Next Generation Innovators, a podcast where we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. So, whether you're in business, you own one, or you dream of doing it yourself, these conversations will guide you through the ups and downs of startups, from ideation and development to investment and scale. Today's guest is Amy Parfett, co-founder of Sydney wedding startup Wedshed. The spark for Wedshed was ignited when a close friends wedding venue shut down just weeks before her big day. Amy and her co-founder Melanie McBride jumped online assuming there'd be no shortage of resources to help solve the problem. But instead what they found was a perfect
0: gap in the market they could fill. We'd been traveling around the world at that point for years and thought okay we've seen the rise in airbnb and these share platforms why is there no one bringing that to the wedding space as well like surely there's got to be so many private properties out there that are just looking to partner up or like reach a, a bunch of couples that want to get married too Wedshed is an online platform that brings together unique wedding
1: venues and vendors from across Australia, New Zealand and more recently in Bali. It's been described as the Airbnb for weddings and has just celebrated
0: five years in business. You know, if we can help people get to, you know, that married state with no regrets and feeling really happy and confident with the way that they did it, then that's you know, we can kind of pat ourselves on the back for that. Wedshed has cemented its place in the
1: industry, built a thriving community of like-minded wedding businesses, and helped more than 100,000 couples create their dream weddings. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet, the ultimate fashion destination where you'll find over 350 designer brands at up to 70% off. The Outnet is the place to go when you're looking to build your wardrobe with designer pieces at exceptional prices. So whether you're dreaming of Zimmerman dresses, a Stella McCartney suit, or covering everything from Valentino, it's all there. And right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Brooke. No worries. It is is—it is very exciting. Let's go back to the beginning uh, to when you founded Wedshed. So it launched in 2015 and you've just celebrated five years in business. Yes. So you had no prior experience working in tech or running a startup. What was the light bulb moment that inspired the creation of Wedshed?
0: Sure. So we, my business partner, Mel McBride, who's also a childhood best friend, we were living in London at the time. This is back in 2012. And uh, the first of our close girlfriends was getting married at that time. And she contacted us about two months before her wedding to say, "Uh, my venue's just shut down. Can you give us a hand? I'm, you know, really struggling right now. And we thought, yeah, like, of course, more than happy to help. But also, Surely it's like as simple as just going online and finding this like mad list of curated spaces. Um, You know, there's there's lists for everything these days. So we jumped online and were just kind of surprised to find that nothing had really evolved in the wedding industry since, I don't know, start of the internet basically. Mm. You'd find, you know, a beautiful property next to an RSL club and there was just no consistency um, and it was pretty, you know – sad state for anyone that, you know, was kind of like us, just sort of considered ourselves modern people and, you know, weren't born breathing and, you know, didn't take a first breath and expect that we were going to be brides one day. And so we sort of thought, okay, there's a there's a space here. Um, like for one, we, you know, Mel and I knew that we were going to be in the same boat at some point. We would, had been with our partners for the best part of you know more than half a decade and figured they'll be pulling their fingers out at some point <laughs> <All they> better. <laughs> <laughs> or better we should do, you know yeah. you know either no judgment um <laughs> and so we thought well we're going to be facing this situation where we're trying to find somewhere amazing to get married at ourselves and what's more you know we'd been traveling around the world at that point for years and thought okay we've seen the rise in airbnb and these share platforms why is there no one bringing that to the wedding space as well, like surely there's got to be so many private properties out there that are just looking to partner up or like reach a, a bunch of couples that want to get married too. Um, and so that was like another kind of light bulb moment. I feel like we were, you know, probably in the kitchen with a glass of wine, like most nights in London <laughs> and just thought, oh, you know, that's, that's what we should try and do. We should try and solve for that problem. And I mean, we also grew up spending a lot of time on family farms as well and knew that there were heaps of underutilised spaces on properties that might be used like one or two months a year for shearing or, you know, whatever it might be, or just holding, you know, spare hay or a tractor or something like that. And we thought, okay, well, this actually goes beyond just trying to find a cool space for to get married at. Like, what if we could also facilitate and help more families future-proof their properties as well by bringing in an, an additional revenue stream? So that's kind of where the whole idea was born. I love that Mel's last name is McBride oh, as know. well.
1: And she's working in the wedding space. I mean, I'm sure that everyone brings your attention to that, but when I read I was like, That's perfect. Of course her last name it's is McBride. So
0: serendipitous. She should have known as soon as she met her husband, Tim, that like that was where she was gonna go. Mm-hmm. But neither mm-hmm. of us had ever worked in the wedding space before. So yeah, it was it was interesting moving into totally different industry. So it's one thing to have a good idea. What then gave you the confidence to execute it? How did you know what to do? The first thing that we did was actually try and reach out to people in the industry just to see if the idea had legs, because it's, as you say, you know, it's all well and good to kind of come up with an idea, but unless you know that there's a gap for it... Um, you know, you could just be pushing something uphill. And so we reached out to heaps of different photographers, um, stylists, florists, and just venues as well in the space to say, hey, like, is, is this something, you know, are you looking for a place to try and connect with other couples in like a way that feels a lot more modern as well and, you know, allows couples to create a wedding that actually reflects what they're all about. And the feedback we got was so overwhelmingly positive. Um, We didn't realise at the time, but just by doing that, we kind of created this community of advocates that went and shared the idea or the concept with heaps of other people in the industry. And so that kind of word of mouth actually really helped us build the brand even before we'd launched. And I think that was probably the key thing that kind of gave us the the confidence to move forward with it. So you'd tell people and they'd get
1: excited and they'd tell people and, and you realised that you really, you had something um, worthwhile or worth pursuing at that yeah, point. Yeah, very
0: much so. And I mean, I think also being the target market ourselves for what we were going to create, that probably also helps. You know, we were sort of like, well, there's a problem here to solve that we're going to one day face. And even if there's nobody else out there like us, even though we, we, like we knew there probably would be plenty of other sort of young people that were just looking for something that was a little bit more, uh, different to what was out there in the wedding space. Um, again, that was probably enough impetus for us to kind of, yeah, go for it.
1: Yeah. Wow. And so people often think that you can just quit your day job and run with an idea. But it's often more of a slow burn, isn't it, before it becomes like a full-time reality. So how long did it take for you to transition um, from working um, full-time to to working on? Wed shared full-time.
0: Yeah, I would say, yeah, definitely don't just quit your day job <laughs> straight <laughs> as away. As much as you want as, to. Oh, and it's so tempting too, to yeah. get it, you know, get carried away and excited by the idea that you have. But for us, we worked on it for six months solidly before we um, actually transitioned and, and moved from it to into full-time work. Um, Prior to that, we probably, you know, it was 2012 when the idea came to us. We sat on it for a couple of years and kind of just slowly canvassed it because it wasn't the right time for us. You know, we were sort of still living overseas and, you know, pretty carefree, came back, moved into our old careers and then it just was one of those things that started to really, like, feel quite itchy. Like we needed to kind of do something with it.
1: Yeah. Did you have that feeling where sometimes you would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, someone's going to do
0: this before us? hundred percent. That like hot sweat panic. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's probably a good indicator that you've stumbled onto something that is worth pursuing. So tell me about how the Wed Shed business model
1: works. Like how do you actually generate revenue? And, and did it take a long time for you to start seeing returns?
0: Yeah, sure. So at our core, our revenue model is a subscription service. So venues and vendors list to be on Wedshed and they pay monthly or annually. Um, alongside that, we've sort of also opened up a whole different branch of different arms to the business. So we do sort of more marketing for different venues and venue management as well. Uh, we're about to launch a shop as well, where we bring together an edit of cool stuff that we think couples would be interested in for their wedding. Uh, we've got a physical wedding planner that we're writing at the moment, which is kind of more of like a book to how to plan a wedding versus, you know, just kind of a book that's got a lot of blank space in it. Cause we felt like that doesn't really help people actually achieve anything. So yeah, it's core. Cool. It's a sort of subscription. Um, but the money never—it didn't come in straight away. It's to, you know, to kind of grow and get some traction. We offered all of these venues um, a free listing on Wedgehead for six months, just to prove it out to them as well. I feel like, you know, for us, we didn't feel comfortable. You know, and we knew that we couldn't ask for money probably from people until we'd at least proven the idea and, and brought that traffic in. And so then after about six months, um, that's when we started the sort of subscription model. And we also had vendors at that stage come to our door being like, well, why are you not listing photographers and florists and caterers and hair and makeup artists? Because to begin with, it was purely just amazing spaces to get married at. So it was a bit of a burn, I suppose, to start with, but um, we've been fortunate that it's kind of just sort of steadily ticked along. But that said, it's by no means been kind of this like um, zero to 100. It's been a very much an organic growth, Mm. which I think is something that happens when you're self-funding a business as well. We sort of, you know, along the way, it's we haven't taken any external investment. It's been entirely bootstrapped by us. So you kind of progress um, at the the pace that you can put the resources into it. And if that's kind of you doing it yourself, sometimes it's slower than you wish it would be, but we're, we're pretty happy with it.
1: Well, because I was going to ask you that, because you haven't taken any external investment to build it. And in its you know, in its initial stages, it would have just been so daunting. I mean, just whatever savings you have or whatever money you can spare, you're just
0: throwing into it. Totally. And I mean – uh, we didn't even have any. We didn't have any savings, I suppose. Um, so it's interesting that you say that. We, to, in order to be able to raise some capital, to in like I guess to build the first iteration of the site, we actually took on the management of a private farm down in Kangaroo Valley in New South Wales, and um, that was just a beautiful private property. And we transformed that from you know just kind of this blank space into a wedding venue that was booked out for the entire next wedding season, and we manage the Airbnb as well and so um, that just kind of gave us this sort of trickle of cash to invest in building the website which was you know amazing but it also allowed us to really sort of understand what it's like to be on the venue side of things so we've realised you know, retrospectively how incredible that was as an experience for us to really fully gauge the entire or well, both sides of the industry from both being couples as well as being venue managers and seeing the problems that they face as well. Do you think that you'd consider external
1: investment in the future?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's something that we have um, spoken to people about in the past that have approached us and it's definitely not something that we would knock back. But I think You know, it would be really nice just to take lots of cash from someone, but it's got to be the right partner as well. Um, So, I think, you know, if you're sort of looking into, you know, trying to find some funding externally, it's always, from what we hear and the advice that we're given, it's always got to be with somebody or with a team that brings something to you guys that you don't have. And so, there are different things that we're sort of thinking about in the future, which probably would require some funding, but. I think, um, yeah, it's just got to be the right timing. So the wedding industry can get a pretty bad rap sometimes,
1: can't it? So there are stereotypes like the, the bridezilla, the exorbitant prices, a wedding tax situation. As soon as you mentioned it's for a wedding, I yeah. feel like there's that thing where it sort of doubles or triples sometimes. How did you nail down what your brand would be and
0: not be? Yep. Yeah. I feel like it's such a funny one, the whole wedding industry. Um, And I mean, we didn't, as I sort of said, we weren't in the wedding industry beforehand. So we had no idea what it was going to be like moving into this space. And all we really had to gauge from were Hollywood movies and reality TV, which made it feel like this really kind of clicky, space. And it's so nothing like that. Like the people that we work with and that we've encountered on our journey are just really genuine, like love loving people that are, you know, super into what they do and are really passionate about it. So for us, it was very much like we rejected the idea of the Bridezilla's from the get-go, and I kind of suppose we sort of were like, no, we were more like a bride-chiller audience. Oh, I love that. <laughs> is that a thing, a bride-chiller? Oh, yeah, it is a bit of a thing now. I feel like we've sort of been That's championing so that for a while. Because I think the thing is, though, like weddings – you're you're planning a wedding generally, maybe 12 to 18 months, everyone's going to have moments of stress. Um, And I think that goes for like, you know, you, you probably spend investing a bit of money in it. It might be one of the first sort of big things you've planned with your life partner if you haven't already purchased a place or something like that. So it can bring out, you know, moments of like frustration or like, you know, moments that you're not particularly proud of but for (laughs) for the most part everyone's really cool about it and they're just you know I guess the audience that we have always catered to are just keen to have a celebration and like get all of their friends and family together and round them up and have a big party because they met each other and adjoining families. So do you reckon that's that's how it's
1: made it easier for you to sort of stamp out your brand and you've created your niche in weddings alongside other sharing economy platforms like Airbnb um, do you consider them a competitor or, or do you think that, you know, your brand is, you know, it's it's very different from that?
0: I think it's very different from that in that it's niche. So Airbnb, uh, you know, for us, it was an awesome place for us to try and find some properties when we were first, you know, starting Wedgehead to reach out to. But, you know, unless you've got, a, a, you know, a thousand hours to go through and try and find specific spaces, you can kind of become unstuck. And I think what we try and offer as well, it's not just, you know, a property, which is great. Like we're a discovery tool, but really we try and give couples the permission to create something that's more personal to them and, and to put traditions aside. Because I think the thing is when you are planning a wedding, for, the most, for most people it's the first time they've done it, you sort of come into it with perhaps a preconception of what you're meant to do. And for us it's really important to tell people, actually, no, you can put those to bed. Like you actually don't need to have a cake if you don't want to. You don't need to have bridesmaids. You don't need to get married on a Saturday. You know, it's like any traditions that don't resonate with you, just throw them in the bin and create something that's actually reflective of what you guys are all about and put your money into those things as well. So I feel like there's a lot more to, you know, weddings than probably what meets the eye to start with, and you know, for us, it's always, you know, I think the way that we see ourselves as separate from Airbnb is just trying to help couples throughout the whole process from start to finish as well. Yeah, rather than
1: just being like, oh, well, here's a, here's a, a cool great space. property. Yeah, you know,
0: now you're on your own. Yeah. We sort of support
1: them throughout the whole process. Totally. Yeah. So how do you manage um, this sort of turnover in users? Because, you know, other companies or other businesses have the, the benefit of sort of repeat customers, but people might only visit Wedshed for a sh- Wedshed for a short period in their lives. How do you keep them
0: in the community? Yeah, it's very true. Like, our, you know, our life cycle is probably, you know, between six months to 18 months on average. Um, and we just find that we're really fortunate that, the you know we have sort of a facebook cr- group with all the different couples that you know use wedgehead that all come into it and even after they've gotten married, a lot of them just hang around and stay in there because they want to help advise all of the other couples. So it's, I don't know, I think for us, it's just been about trying to create a space where couples feel safe enough to, you know, say what they're thinking without any judgment from other couples. And once you've created that, then they're pretty keen to stick around and share that experience and knowledge with other couples, which is really nice. I think eventually we'd love to move into things that are beyond the wedding space and sort of extend them. The life cycle, but you know that's kind of years down the track. Wow! And so, do you? Re- you must rely heavily on on word of mouth, then. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the beautiful things about weddings. It's kind of there's this inbuilt virality to them. So, you know, you might go to a property for your wedding, and you know, you or you you book your wedding, and you might invite a hundred mates, and then all of a sudden, there's a hundred or maybe say 80 of those might also be getting married and they might be like, okay, well, how did you find this? And then, you know, Wedgehead might come up or, um, yeah, there is definitely a big degree of word of mouth. And I think social media for us has just been the best tool in terms of reaching people because, you know, there's, there's not, like there's actually not that much out there that's probably speaking to the kind of audience that we are in the wedding space as well. So that's on our side too. Absolutely. And you guys have been
1: particularly proactive in supporting Australian farmers who have been impacted by the drought. And you mentioned before, you know, providing another revenue stream for people who, you know, their other streams might be stalling a little bit because of the drought or or other things. Can you share how you're supporting drought relief and, and, and why you're doing it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for any farms that are impacted by drought at the moment, um, since I think August 2018, we've been welcoming properties on the site to list with us for free uh, for a year initially, but we've just extended it until people are back on their feet because there is really no end to the drought anyway. So it's like, you know, just, just stick around, um, which for us, it just felt like such a simple thing to do. Like it's, you know, we're not out there on the ground, like so many incredible people, you know, actually helping people firsthand. So if the the smallest thing that we could do is to open up another door for people to potentially, you know, safeguard their farm or just get a, a little bit of relief at this time, then it felt like a, a bit of a no-brainer for us. Um, we've seen, we've probably had about know, six or seven different properties take us up on that. And we've been able to help them get set up with, you know, booking terms, photo shoots. Um, All these people in the industry have kind of rallied around them to help them, which has been so beautiful to see. And we know that one of them, um, the women, the woman who's actually quit her full-time job to just focus on weddings full-time because it's taken off so much. So it's like such a, beautiful, rewarding thing.
1: That's incredible because, you know, you know, six or seven might not sound like a huge number, but that's six or seven families. Yeah. That's six or seven communities. Yeah. And we would who... welcome
0: so much more So as there well. you go.
1: If you're listening right now and you are either on a farm or you know someone who's living <laughs> on a farm that's in drought... Send them our way.
0: Hit us up. Yeah. And I think the thing is, it's not just the property, as you're saying, Brooke, as well. it's actually has such a big effect on the community as well, because, you know, a wedding has the capacity to bring tens of thousands of dollars into a regional place in just, you know, one weekend. Totally There's motels, cars, petrol, food. Yeah. Food, drink, lots of drink, um, gifts, you know, just everything. it And also the different, I guess it sort of opened up doors for other people to sort of start small businesses as well, which we really love. So we've sort of seen, you know, someone pop up as a celebrant in the region because they'd always been thinking about doing celebrancy, but now there's a a venue next door. So might as well do this or, you know, floristry or something like that too. So it's, yeah, it has a really awesome knock-on effect um, in terms of just helping, you know, regional towns get back on their feet. Mm. And so if
1: you're a bride and you're listening to this or a bride-to-be, there you go. What a perfect way to support other Aussies who are doing it tough. Go and have your wedding in a regional town rather than a destination wedding somewhere overseas. Yeah, very
0: much so. And also in fire-affected regions as well. That's something that we've sort of been trying to push more recently after, you know, the summer that we've just had too because, yeah, there's just, you know, so many so many places that are affected right now. And it's such a, you know, and there's so many beautiful properties that exist in these fire affected regions. And, you know, if you can be getting married and also helping, a, you know, a community out at the same time, it's such a win-win. This is so wholesome. I wasn't <laughs> expecting this today. It's so lovely.
1: <laughs> so tell me about um, your co-founder, Melanie McBride. Um,
0: she's your childhood friend. She is my childhood friend. We went to primary school together. Um, we're One of those people that's like, I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah, we
1: grew up around the corner from each other. What's it like um, building a business with someone who you're so close to, though? Because I feel like, um, you know, there's the potential for it to sort of get in the way of the friendship or. Um, You know, you're so close that you're almost like sisters where you would fight all the time.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So many people told us don't go into business together when we first started, Um, which I think probably is fair for a lot of people. But by that stage, we'd lived together, we'd travelled together um, we had spent so much time together, and we realised that we were sort of an anomaly in terms of relationships. In that we didn't annoy each other, <laughs> even no matter how much time we spent together, we were still always, you know, on pretty good terms. But I think um, what's probably worked in our favour is that we both have really different skill sets. So Mel's very much operations and money and logic and. Um, project management and organized, and I'm probably zero of those things, so and more on the sort of marketing, brand, creative side. And so, but we sort of knew that we were never going to be stepping on each other's toes. There were so many different things that we saw, I guess we see eye to eye on pretty much most stuff, but we've also got such a close relationship that we can kind of gauge, you know, how each other is feeling. And it's just about really having a very open, honest relationship with that person if you're, you know, if you're friends. Because moving into this, you know, we we were very conscious and had discussions. You know, we, we never want anything to get in the way of our friendship. So how do we address stuff when it comes up? Because in, inevitably it will and mm. we'll all have off days. But I think we'd just be... Our advice, like my advice, would just to be really respectful of that person, and and you know just know that they're going through things too. So are you, Um, and just always like, don't ever be afraid to talk about the hard stuff when it comes up as well. Yeah, well, that's interesting what you just said
1: then about um, having an agreement about how you manage conflict. Before the conflict happens, because it's inevitable, right? Like yeah. people have disagreements. You might not see eye to eye on something. Yeah, so that's something that you
0: proactively like sort out. Totally, and just to know it's never personal as well. Like you know, when it comes to business, it's you know, if we're having differing opinions on how we should approach something or do something, it's literally about the task at hand or the th- the project that we're working on. It's not ever, you know, anything to do with that actual person in front of us because we love each other dearly and I think we're just really fortunate that we kind of understand each other and and recognise it is... Uh, something that is quite special and we don't take mm-hmm. it for granted, Absolutely, which is why I have to work on it. Well, you seem like a very
1: lovely person.
0: Oh, she seems you. like a real chiller. Like if you're at
1: home <laughs> and you, you know, she's very sweet. You're a lovely person. I can tell that, that you would be really lovely nice. to work with. Mel is really chill as well. Is so, she? Yeah, so you're two chill. You're two
0: bride chillers. Yeah, it's very much so. Mm, yeah, I guess I so. I love it.
1: So there would have been a lot of bootstrapping going on in the early years of Wedshed. Um, what areas did you have to upskill in? And, you know, was it difficult to sort of accept your shortcomings in some areas?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think you sort of, I mean, for us, we came into it with a whole lot of naivety, which I suppose anyone does when they're first starting a business and like that blind faith is probably the thing that enables you to just, you know, put fears aside and go for it. Um, in terms of upskilling, we, beyond, um, you know, sort of the skills that we had brought from like, you know, either communications or events or, you know, our previous jobs. Um, We, yeah, we had nothing in terms of like money, Uh, HR, Mel had studied business, so she was pretty well equipped there. But our, I mean, our core business is essentially a tech business and that's our product. It's all online. We, neither of us have any technical background whatsoever and we don't have a technical founder. So, We attempted to design our website ourselves the first time round and... I spent hours in PowerPoint, which is like, it's like the equivalent of trying to build a website in Microsoft Paint for anyone that remembers <laughs> that. You might as well just draw you on a piece do some of paper. You like cool spray paint effect, <laughs> you know, get the little bucket filled with paint. That's and, right. You know, some do circles whole, here. Some block colour circles. Yeah, wow. yeah, exactly. So, and we, we sort of gave that to our developers who were like kind of... I think they were probably so shocked that they didn't even have the chance to be, like, completely, like, shattered with the brief that we'd given them. Um, And, you know, you sort of learn the hard way that that if you had some, you know – we probably should have invested money in actually bringing on a website designer from the very beginning. Yeah, because you probably spent so many hours oh, laboring over that, literally paint moving document. lines like millimeters <laughs> by hand. It's just like the most ridiculous thing, and, and yeah, it's a pretty good lol when you look back at those initial designs anyway but um do you still have them yeah oh yeah oh wow yeah it's great yeah I think we looked at them maybe like six months ago because we're actually undergoing a total rebrand and redesign right now and so sort of went back through the archives to see and it's like yeah just dark ages of of design <laughs> is so bad <laughs> very embarrassing but um yeah I mean we had to upskill in a lot of different areas but, and it didn't take probably too long and too many, I guess, times like this where we realised, oh, actually, we've just made an error that's cost us months and months of progress to realise that actually where you can just pay for a professional to do it, mm-hmm. you're going to save so much time. You're going to save so much money in the long run as well. Um but yeah, it's something you kind of have to go through to, to to get to that point. Yeah. Well, I 100% would have been there with you in
1: PowerPoint, (laughs) sort of moving it around and then turning it into a PDF and thinking it was probably pretty flash. So I'm laughing, but I'm laughing because I 100% would do that. And like,
0: it was fun, you know, you sort of like have a vision for it. And maybe, you know, if you didn't do that and have that fiddle around, it wouldn't be what it was today. Mm. At least that's what we tell ourselves anyway. No, you gotta, you gotta go (laughs) through it, don't you? You do.
1: Yeah. So you've got a, a very lean team of six that are managing more than 600 businesses,
0: mm-hmm.
1: 60,000 monthly visits to your website, and a whopping 1.4 million users. So that, they're incredible figures. What tips can you share on how to make the right hires, given how critical
0: this is in startups? Yes. So over the years, we've learned a lot about hiring, and probably the hard way. I think maybe one of the errors that we made early doors was to hire someone based on just cultural fit alone. So everyone that we've ever hired, uh, we've loved them dearly as as friends and as people, but perhaps we sort of didn't realise that they, their skill set wasn't the one that we needed at the time. So I'd say. When it comes to, you know, hiring people, you really need to probably get quite granular and address what do you need in your business at this point in time um, and versus what's just kind of a nice-to-have too. I think this is probably particular import, particularly important for such a small business like ours as well. You know, you can't afford to make mis-hires on the regular. Um, and doing due diligence is is something that's really Sort of important. I feel like it's pretty straightforward and common sense, but maybe it's it's you know I mean speaking from personal experience, I don't think we did it enough um, in the early days. So I feel like that's probably some tips on I suppose making sure that you hire don't hire the wrong people. And when it comes to hiring the right people, I would just say reach out to your networks to see what's out there. Be really thorough and you know checking the work that you of people who you've sort of identified as potential candidates and just be super open and honest about where you're at in the business as well because, you know, you are entering an agreement with someone where they're putting their faith in you for, you know, this next stage of their career and their livelihood and they may have, you know, everyone's got bills to pay and stuff, but it's really important that you're totally on the same page from the get-go and I think that's going to serve you in good stead moving forward as well because you you know you never want to disappoint anyone Um, would be devastated if if that sort of happened within our business Um, and like you know no one ever gets it right and it's not perfect um, but you just gotta I guess do the best you can and and just try and learn along the way and ask for feedback regularly too.
1: Is it nerve-wracking when you do make hires because it's almost like you're taking on like a dependent, isn't it? Yeah. And so then you're responsible for them being able to pay their bills and, you know, reach their career milestones, as you
0: mentioned. Is that something that you sort of feel the weight of? A hundred percent. It's hugely... Um you know, you do feel a huge degree of responsibility for it and you want to help these people grow as well. But also, you know, you're only just probably growing as a business manager or as a business owner as well yourself. So you've got a lot of lessons to learn along the way. So it's trying to, I guess, constantly be educating yourself on how to do the best for your team, but also, you know, be learning from them along the way a bit of a combination and yeah, we're still, you know, it's something we're working on Mm. to be honest. Well, speaking
1: of, um, dependence, you and Mel both wear a lot of hats, co-founders, wives, mothers. How do you approach life to ensure that you have balance and boundaries. And we were just chatting before we started the interview <laughs> about bedtimes and about getting enough sleep. So I feel like I already know yeah. a little bit about what you're going to say
0: here. Yeah, I feel like um, our approach to boundaries is, I'd say it's flexible. <laughs> <laughs> porous. Very <laughs> exactly. porous boundaries. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, both Mel and I have both got, um, the your son's under, or sort of mine's two and hers is just under two. And of course, with another one on the way at the moment but um yeah it's It's like something that is, you know, it is, you have to be flexible with it where I think at a stage in our business at the moment where, you know, you're still very much on call to it um, and that is your first baby as well, we just try and be really conscious of the fact that when we come home from the office, we've probably got a few hours to spend before, you know, between daycare pickup and bedtime and we try and be as present as we can with our little guys at that point. But then, you know, it's it's never perfect. Your phone might be ringing and pinging in the background and it's hard to shut off. Um, and then once they're down, it's, you know, back to the the laptop on the lap. Um, our husbands and I, you know, we sort of joke with our husbands, what, will, what would we actually talk about if we, <laughs> if we had this quality time to sit on the lounge every <laughs> night and I wasn't, you know, just actually here just ticking away on the laptop. <laughs> yeah. It's actually... Kind of sad, but uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's funny when you do get like time together and you're sitting there at the restaurant, you're like, so, so How was your day? Yeah. <laughs> what did you do? What do we uh what do we normally talk about again? Can we talk about the cleaner or like, you know, letting yeah. the dogs out or you is know, is it some world we, issue
0: or something that we should be yeah. discussing should right now? Should we be now? talking about like like virus, coronavirus you know? yeah, yeah, or tot- something? Yeah, or exactly. politics I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Um but they're incredibly supportive and understanding, which, you know, we're so fortunate to have these like wonderful chaps in our lives that allow us to, to sort of bring this dream to life. So one of the things that you would be
1: tapping away on your keyboard about is this new um, rebrand and, and redesign
0: of the website. Why did you want to do this? I think in a tech business, if you're not constantly reevaluating and updating your product, it's so quickly, well, it so quickly becomes, you know, defunct to a degree Um you know, technology moves so quickly that you really need to be adapting it all the time. And we would have loved to have done this two years ago, to be honest, but we just weren't at a stage where we had the resources available to do it. And uh, in, you know, retrospect, we've now realised there's, there's so much we've learned over the last couple of years that now is the perfect time to do it. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's just something to do to future-proof the, the actual, the product itself. You know, tech... When you sort of look at um, a business like ours from the outside, it's not that we we don't have any you know fancy clothes to drop every season, and there's not you know sort of a new product coming out that you know, it looks really fancy and fun. Um, but there's always so much going on behind the scenes and it eventually sort of becomes a tipping point where you can bolt on as much as you can to the existing thing that you have. Um, and our first website has was built on a shoestring budget, really, and we've just bolted on stuff along the way as and when we've sort of needed it or had the the resources to do that, Um but it only gets you so far and we've just realised that there's so much more that we can do for our couples and for the p- businesses that we partner with as well and it just came time to totally throw what we had out and start fresh which is a funny thing because it means right now we're looking at our current website which is full of this wedgehead green and you know a logo that we designed in Canva back in 2015 so it's you know it was it's very much um, quite roots and all And the direction that we're heading now, it's, you know, it's like miles away from where we currently sit. And so it's, you know, to be honest, it's quite hard to look at our website right now and be like, oh, you know, we sort of see it for all of its um, failings. Even though the feedback that we get and we know it's really helpful for people, we just know the direction that it's headed and how good it's going to look, you know, in three months time as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think when you know that there's something better coming,
0: you're like, oh, I just can't wait now, for the new thing. This wouldn't yeah. be happening if it was the new thing. A hundred percent. Yeah, you, get, you just get so impatient. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's I think that's one of the things with uh, you know working in tech as well. You sort of we've come to realize that whatever you're quoted probably need to double that. Whatever whatever time you've been sort of quoted as well, probably double that too. It's just you know, it's it's a amazing industry because you can do so much but it also you you know it's if you don't have a technical team within your own business and you're outsourcing it things can take a bit longer than you'd like them to mm. So has your vision of success matched
1: your experience building Wedshed over the last 5 years?
0: Yes and no, I think to be honest. I think when we sort of think about where we wanted to be at this stage 5 years in, we have a little bit of a chuckle about you know how far from that we are, but I think also that probably comes down to the fact that we were so ambitious when we first started and and you know thought we'd be able to you know do so much more in such a short period of time. But Ultimately, yeah, it's, you know, we're able to work together as best mates and with these incredible people around us every day, we're able to you know, help couples on one of the big days of their lives. And I think the thing about weddings is it's, you know, it is one day, but we always see weddings as something that's so formative to the future of people as well. Like you really, it's not just one day, you're actually creating a memory for people and and sort of setting them up for how they're going to move into marriage together. And that could be a really philosophical way of looking at it. But, you know, if we can help people get to you know, that married state with no regrets and feeling really happy and confident with the way that they did it. And that's, you know, we can kind of pat ourselves on the back for that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's it's a roller coaster, I'd say. But we're, we're, you know, it's, this business has allowed us to kind of create a life on our own terms as well, um, to be present with our kids. And we're just super proud of the direction that it's heading and, and just kind of excited to, to see what we can do next. Finally, what's next for you guys at Wed Shed? So this big rebrand is sort of the big thing and site redesigns on the horizon for us. Um, from there as well, you know, there's other markets that we'd love to tap into. The US is a big one. World domination. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. Just,
1: this is like a journal for you. So you can listen to this okay, in Okay, so years. I should probably right. like, yeah, be so really specific Yeah, so tell me what your here. dreams
0: are. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Where do you want to be in five <laughs> so years? So much pressure. Um, in five, oh, gosh. Do you know, it's that's a, such a funny question because I don't know. I, like I would love to to have um, a handle on it, but I'm also really excited by the idea of not knowing what's going to happen. There's so many different areas that we've seen in the wedding industry that need to be tapped into. A big one for us, um, we found, is is the budget question. And so what's a really common problem for a lot of couples is sort of figuring out how to pay for their wedding and and sort of get through it without, you know, going into mountains of debt at the end of the day. So that's something that we're currently working on is sort of a fintech product to, to help couples navigate that without,
1: you know, Without accidentally spending fifteen or $20,000 on a dress.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, accidents happen sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, very <laughs> bizarre. Beautiful, expensive accidents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. But um, yeah, sort of just branching in and trying to help solve some other problems that we've identified in the industry as well, just to make it, to take it forward in a way that's, you know, not fussy and, and dated like it used to be.
1: Oh, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for joining me this week. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me. My my pleasure, totally. Of course, anytime. And if you are one of those brides who wants to spend money in regional communities, definitely go to Wed Shed. And if you're a farmer looking to diversify your income streams, go to Wed Shed as well. Thank you for joining us this week with Amy Parfait, the co-founder of Wedshed. If you're in the midst of planning a wedding, make sure you check out what Wedshed has to offer. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with some friends and tell us what you think in the comments. Have a great week. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet. The Outnet is where you'll find designer pieces for up to 70% off. Build your wardrobe with staples from Ghani and Sandro, as well as statement pieces from Diane von Furstenberg and Valentino. Right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details.